Welcome everyone to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the big round white room is Pete. Hello there, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk to you about the entirety of season one of Andor on Disney+. Plus. Pete, news in the Star Wars universe here, news that quite frankly surprised us. Well, no surprise that The Mandalorian is coming back for season four, I mean season three, um, but when it's coming back was the surprise. Previously announced February, right? So when I see the other day, Mandalorian, March 1st, that's not February. Um, I don't know why they announce dates if they think they're not going to be able to hit the dates now fair is fair with andor two episode premiere matt august 2022 three episode premiere september 21st now listen that paid off i think handsomely i think we look back at this series differently at the start i'll qualify if we only get those first two episodes getting the roundness of that full arc. And that was a smart decision. So I'm going to trust them here. Okay. Everything they've done for star Wars on Disney plus has panned out, um, that they need another couple weeks to March 1st, get clear of another project or, uh, a couple more weeks, as we've speculated, given that Secret Invasion still doesn't have a date yet, although it could secretly invade at any time, um, for effects, okay. Uh, but yeah, we were promised, I was stoked for a date in February, and at the Brazilian Comic-Con on Thursday, uh, here you go, you're getting March 1st. Side note, kudos to Disney, and I think it's just been Disney so far, but kudos to the use because this is not the first year that Brazilian Comic-Con in November, December has been used as an international leverage point to announce stuff. Um, so, like, good job there. Like, hey, people in Brazil going to Brazilian Comic-Con, that must be really awesome to be getting brand new breaking news stuff. Um, also, you know, like, I'll take my news wherever I get it. I'd much rather, like, you know, I'd much rather, like, Pete, did you see the footage on YouTube of the guy who smuggled the phone in? And all of a sudden it was like, you know, here's whomever taking the stage, you know, and, and people going crazy. I'd much rather that versus like, oh, look, they dropped a trailer to YouTube and it's, it was unannounced. Like, yeah, interact with the fans and so forth. Um, so good to know that Mandalorian comes back March 1st. Don't know the episode count. Um, Pete, I will say this. I will say this. If, if they have a way to do... 11 episodes or what i might argue for maybe like a double-sized 10th episode that gets a two-night rollout um we could get the finale the finale 10 weeks after march 1st plus a day is may the 4th so come on it's right there if you film 10 episodes and that last one is like you know 65 <laughs> minutes long cut it into two halves halves night one Episode 10, part one, night two, May the 4th. Come on, it's right there. This is Darth Vader reaching out. It's right there. Take it. I don't know that that's their plan. I might speculate 
the Bad Batch beginning to stream in uh, January might have something more to do with it uh, than rather trying to hit a, a date plus one. Um, again, not knowing that episode count, what came out of the uh, Brazilian Comic Con biggest season yet, most moving parts, most action all right you want a little bit more time i've fallen back on this before no wine before it's time and as you look back on a season of Andor, matt supersized 12 episodes season two filming now it's gonna be a bit let's all you know wait patiently but if we get anything like what we've gotten already i think we'll all acknowledge that it's been worth it and we're going to have plenty of Star Wars in between, both uh, newly released and talking about some older stuff. Indeed, which is the perfect tee-up for Pete, a spot on our calendar that hasn't happened in a long time. I genuinely think that for all of 2022, aside from maybe there was a three, maybe four-week period, um, was it? After Strange New Worlds and before yes, Lower Decks, in, in you know, mid July, yeah, where where there was nothing that the that the pop culture gods had given us, and even then to sit and go, oh well, there's a month in between. All right, well, you do a season wrap for Strange New Worlds. Now that th that's three weeks. You do a countdown to uh, Lower Decks. Now it's just two weeks of kind of stuff to fill. So we're looking at this schedule, going well. Now Mandalorian is March first. We we've had this plan that I'm about to share with everybody. We've had it on the back burner for a little while, but it's like, well, they're clearly going to announce Mandalorian like the first week in February, right? Okay, no. They're clearly going to announce Secret Invasion, right? Well, now it's like, does Secret Invasion come before Mandalorian? I mean, maybe, but when are you going to announce that? But here's what we're going to announce, Pete, okay? Talking, of course, today and or season one wrap, we're going to be doing an extended Star Wars schedule uh, in a couple days' time on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, uh, we will be rerunning our Phantom Menace podcast. And then from there, all new Star Wars content uh, starting next weekend, Attack of the Clones. The weekend after that, we'll be talking Revenge of the Sith. Uh, right around the Christmas New Year's time, we'll, we'll take a little Marvel detour to talk uh, an introduction of the Secret Invasion series, at least on our on our podcast waves. We'll talk the Mandalorian season three trailer then in the new year a new hope empire strikes back and return of the jedi i would say the new year stuff slight asterisk if they do happen to announce secret invasion the original trilogy will have some flexibility there um but pete that's the plan between now today december 3rd taking return of the jedi tentatively all the way to january 21st and like Matt's uh, prefacing here, we can pivot based on, you know, the newer stuff that might suddenly secretly invade. Um, but yeah, a way to continue that Star Wars discussion. But Matt, as we turn squarely now to Andor, talked about the episode count before, um, you know, much more than we had been given in any series that Star Wars has done to date and then the idea too i don't think any of the shows to this point has improved so much week to week to week and built in such a way 
yeah, I think of watching those three episodes uh, that first week and, it, you know, there, there's world building going on. There's, um, you know, Tony Gilroy had the comment in the last week, like, would you really have traded, uh, you know, like, would you have traded the pacing of those first three episodes, which set up everything that got to this fevered finish? Totally understand your point, Tony. Um, I do think that the three episode release, that was absolutely the way to go, because as you said, it's a complete bite. Um, and in fact, as I think about rewatch and maybe watching with people who haven't seen it before, like, I think it's critical to go, all right, we're going to watch these first three episodes. They're all about 35 minutes long. So, you know, it's going to be less than we might settle in like for a Disney movie for a 90 minute movie. Let's get our popcorn um not every one of these viewings needs to be three episode chunks but we're going to do it with the first one to really set the table here um and just what a what a great start in terms of saying among other things some of the best loved parts of star wars where things are shiny and sunny and optimistic that's not where we are in these three episodes that it still is authentically star wars but that's not where we're at in this show. I think the great irony with this story is obviously the the least Star Wars, the Star Wars with ordinary people, but it's what ordinary people are going to struggle to get into. Um, you know, my brother started and kind of, um, I'm a little bored in these first two episodes. I'm like, no, 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 you got to push forward into the third and then just let that slingshot you through the rest of the series. And I've rewatched at a, a number of different points throughout the series. And again, just the way that it builds and enhances upon itself. And then by the time you're at the end, yeah, those first three episodes and the more subtle and quiet things that they did there come full circle so effectively at the end. I think we wonder how can that happen in a second season, particularly as they've laid it out the way that they're going to jump a, a year or more at times. Um, but with all the pieces put in play and again, the the. <laughs> volume of this cast the 291 speaking roles and the way they spread it about and the number of characters still around uh to be able to fill that out and that trajectory um yeah i i think that we're talking about this that we still have that second season uh floating out there being made right now um to continue if the goal of shows let's say in the last five years any new show if the goal has been i would like this show to be the game of thrones of blank um i think sometimes chasing what that is i don't know if that is necessarily still the goal i think certainly when game of thrones was at its highest that was the goal you know like for example i think there's dna in star trek discovery saying what is can we make star trek discovery the game of thrones of star trek um and not that I'm down on Discovery, I think that maybe some of the darker stuff is as a result of it needs to be dark like Game of Thrones. Point being, if this, if this show wanted to be the Game of Thrones of Star Wars, it's got the recipe right. You know, it's got the darkness. It's got the really broad um, story to it. 
Um, it it still feels Star Wars, but it's just got that it's got that grit, it's got that grime, and and as you say, Pete, I think to to fully appreciate the first three episodes, you need to have seen the finale where you go, oh, some of these lower level characters. Um, I mean, think of Zan. Like you know, it took until the finale for me to remember Zan's name and to see it enough times in the subtitles and so forth. And then you know, R.I.P. Zan. Meanwhile, he's just like guy who uh, is going to sell a ticket out of there, or does he? Does is his office a phone office, or is his office a shipping office, or is his office a bus? Is he the bus guy? Like he's space UPS man. Yeah, like whatever it is, it's kind of like vague and okay. What's going? On? Okay, Andor wants to leave, and and this guy he talks to a little bit, and well, I'll charge you more for today. Okay, whatever. You know, just again, the point being, you're gonna watch, you're gonna do a rewatch, and go, oh, but it was it was Zan Zan who just wanted to do the right thing, and then got taken out for drinks, and then then now he's right. dead. Now he's got you know, like there's this whole big beauty to it. Like with Game of Thrones, where you go, oh my goodness, this character who was gone for an episode, a season, several seasons, they're back, they're important, uh, and so forth. And Pegla, you know, the guy with the used uh, spaceship lot, uh, or or working it, I think. I don't even think it's his, because I remember a guy on the uh, PA, what are you doing back there? Um, just just the brilliant way that they, they bring that back. Um, and obviously the whole big set piece with the funeral procession at the end and, and moving towards that and this practical Ferrix set of Rick's road and all of that, you know, just so detailed, so in depth, but you have to earn that. And I, I think of any of the shows that they've done so far, Obviously, the, the longest number of episodes certainly earns that. Um, I think the Mandalorian production to this point has been a little bit more, obviously, with the circular stage on the fly, the ability to do that. And they had to make they had to choose. You, you have to commit one way or the other to be able to do that. That was a little bit of the lie. They do use some form of circular stage uh, to backlight the Mon Mothma embassy set uh, that goes on, you know, in the, in the windows so that she needs to look out a little bit more. Um, you know, for me, looking back at this series, just with the way that we plop Keith Gergo, remember that character, you know, not your, not your Andor, but obviously the, uh, the, the cover name that he gives the empire when he goes to prison, um, building that, dropping him in that arc and all of the anticipation of how's he going to get out? How's this revolt going to happen? Um, it strangely doesn't uh, exceed the, the last couple episodes and, and the conclusion to it. But at the same time, it's a super high point to the series well i think you speak to the importance of setting in a story and of course setting in this story setting in the mandalorian has been the the story setting has been predestined by the technology decisions made and again maybe those technology decisions are made because of the script and it's the story itself but my point being 
Um, I don't think a Mandalorian rewatch in a Mandalorian rewatch, I don't think you're going to say, well, compared to Andor, it seems awfully sparse. It happens to be set in, you know, dusty ice town in the first episode of Mandalorian and most Eisley and just point being these settings that are very well suited to be encapsulated either with the infinite horizon of the desert or the very near walls of, you know, an ice cave or things of that sort, things that suit their level of technology. Conversely, if they've said, what are our big major kind of story corners for this show? Okay, there's going to be this town that encompasses, after 12 episodes, way more story than maybe we thought. You know, I'd ask the question at the end of the first three, Pete, do we even return here? Like, I sense we will because carpenters and technicians built a set, but like, that's not a story guarantee. And it was like, well, I think we will. Now you go, oh my goodness, this is a major set piece. I understand why they why they built it out the way they did so they could set the camera way back, have scores and scores of people make their way through for fights, for funerals, and so forth. Similarly, the Aldani stuff, we're going to the Welsh countryside to make it look like the Welsh countryside so it can be as big, wide open as possible. And if we need a, a crook of hill to overlook the dam, we're just going to, you know, quick everybody get on the bus we're going to ride for 20 minutes to go to the right kind of crook of hill to really get to get that um i think as you're saying some of the coruscant stuff you know could have been built in a more virtual space um however do you naturally build a luthan shop in a virtual space that's got the window you know the window from the back room to the showroom to the lobby and so forth do you naturally do that when in the Mandalorian mode you build a lot of these settings with like there's so much exterior, there's so much kind of, you know, the 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 spot that it's in. So stick some fisherman crates over there and just have them walk by the camera. You don't really need to build anything. Again, just the point being the story and the technology here are selling you on these keystone settings that 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 the series occurs in. And what they do with plot. It's funny to think about, all right, we know where Andor and the rebellion winds up. This ultimately becomes both a, a loss that turns into a success with his death on Scarif, the handing over of the plans to our heroes from the original films um, through Rogue One. But the unpredictable nature, knowing where we're going, that we got both the Casa backstory from uh you know his home planet uh the search for the sister seen in the flashback that still has not been resolved and tony gilroy has said will be picked back up um but at the same time his origin story as a rebel hero ultimately a captain um you know joining the rebellion formally at the end of this first season and then Mon Mothma, what's ultimately going to happen there? Not to mention, you know, Dedra Miro and what ultimately becomes of Luthen because he ain't in Rogue One. Um, you know, really, really servicing plot through character. Well, and I think that having gotten to know and gotten to love these characters this season, and I would extend, I would extend the character love to Miro as well, even though obviously we're meant to root against her and so forth. Um, the guessing game for next season now gets to become 
and if I may return to this idea of Game of Thrones having had this huge impact on how people are creating stories in its shadow, you know, Pete, is it okay next season to kill off Luthen? Well, you're saying he doesn't show up in Rogue One. Is it okay to kill off Miro? I mean, I think, look, you want me to pitch the Miro spinoff uh, after after season two, I'd be happy to start to put my thinking cap on for that. You want to say, guess what? She only gets worse. She only gets more um, austere and cruel and so forth. And there's going to be a great, you know, we're, we're going to cheer when she finally dies. I'm ready for that story turn as well. Um, just off the top of my head, this first season is pretty empty of major character deaths, um, which Pete means in the second season, there's a lot of potential for Pete. I thought they might kill off somebody, but I didn't think they'd get Luthen in episode 202, that sort of thing. I think that'd really be early, but given the unique way that they're going to tell that second season, that's certainly a possibility. I can't rule that out. Um, you know, we love to hate Karn. I think we hate Miro a little less, although we certainly acknowledge the fascism of the Empire, particularly the way that she buys into that. Yet at the same time, there's a fragility to Denise Goss' uh, performance. I think we recognize and we kind of loathe in ourselves that we felt for her at times. Um, but how will the two of them play off one another as the story moves forward, what is Karn to her uh, in this second season? Um, and then the Mon Mothma intrigue, her husband, her daughter, this deal with the devil that she's made at the same time right now outmaneuvering the ISB, which frankly is distracted by the Anto Kriegers, by, you know, what will their response their follow-up their crackdown be to what took place on ferrix and still searching for you know luthan as axis trying to put those pieces together missing andor uh on on ferrix and and trying to have him wind up in uh miro's net there um and Dr. Gorst out there with the galaxy's worst mixtape, you know, making more people listen to that. I find myself oddly, slightly sympathetic to Perrin. And I think there's, there's potential in season two. Cause look, he's, if he's just this dandy about town, this hedonist who's who himself was pushed into a marriage that maybe was not his choice back when he was a teen. And he doesn't really have a job as, the the senator's husband um and there's not a lot of spark there in life and so forth um to then i think there's potential in season two where he could be saying you know it wasn't my idea for you know our daughter to be married off etc etc like if nothing else story-wise perrin could be this reverberator back to mon mothma to say you made this choice you did this. You made the choice to, um, again, we know. I don't know how much he will know, but you know, to take all your ills, your money ills, your your um, funding of the rebellion, and to push it essentially on your husband, on your daughter. Um, I think that's a really, really compelling 
character place to go. And meanwhile, if it's just kind of hung on, you know, like Perrin likes to drink it up. He's I'll, Pete. I'll take him his word that he stopped gambling. How true to the mariage he has been or not, I have my suspicions. Um, but again, it's all that. That's just one little example of all this character complexity that I don't know that we've gotten from shows in general. Certainly, maybe not even other Star Wars shows. I really appreciate the way in which Genevieve O'Reilly's character has been pushed and now the compelling nature of these choices to put her in. There is sacrifice on her end. This character that we first glimpsed in Return of the Jedi has a tragic backstory and, you know, it's Shakespearean in every way. And they're giving that to us. Um and I'm here for what she's going to put Perrin through. Perrin has made his bed, Matt, and all of this is comeuppance. Um, and uh, you don't mess with Mon Mothma. Pete, what do you think? You know, here we are on a cold December day, cold and rainy as we record and so forth. Um, Emmy nominations won't be announced until I think July what do you think that Emmy landscape looks like? Are we looking at a best drama nomination? Who's getting acting? It is a shoe in go bet it at this point, serious contender. Will it overcome the bias against science fiction, science fantasy properties remains to be seen, but it's going to be right up there. How about acting nominations? I mean, I, I too would say in terms of writing and directing and some of the more technical awards, it, it'll fare quite well. But who, who, if anyone's getting acting nominations here? I think O'Reilly could be on the fringe of a dramatic uh, regular of a, of a best actress. Um, maybe uh, Diego Luna. I'm, I'm just not sure that they'd put it in a, in a leading man for a science fiction fantasy property. I think that scars guard is a, a shoe in for a supporting. Um, and you know, this show will be, I, I anticipate Matt that Emmy announcement podcast where we relight the fires for and or, in the middle of, you know, if not finishing up uh, Mandalorian season three or gearing up for Ahsoka um, that is going to have quite a few nods. Well, Pete, let's hear what some others had to say about this season. Uh, we ran a poll. What lasting images will stay with you in the off season? The choices were the neon lit road, 12.5%. The Round White Room, 25%. The Hot Metal Floor, 56.3%. Then there was the option for Other, that was 6.3%. Let's hear what people had to say, uh, both in response to the poll, and clearly it was in response to the season overall. Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 said, Andor was more than the sum of its parts. Cassium's at the center of the story that everyone revolved around, but the Rebellion wouldn't have gotten the Death Star plans without the influence that Marva and Clem had on their boy. Top to bottom, a first-rate Star Wars show. Next, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille, uh, Noel Camille said, That prison floor was no joke. Just a uh, slip or not paying attention could take you out. I like socks. I couldn't do bare feet all the time. 
Um, James Sagacious, big killing on Twitter, said uh, the depiction of the ISB was truly amazing. Showing ordinary beings going toe-to-toe with the Sith uh, in evil was kind of terrifying. Uh, it's such a reflection of our times. Handmaid's Tale is probably blushing. Use of an improvised bomb by a quote-unquote good guy is pretty gutsy. Uh, we all know where this is heading. And speaking of A New Hope, IMDb is never IMDb is never wrong, right? And he shows <laughs> IMDb shows episode 2.1 premiering in 2023, which I think, Pete, uh, we would be lucky if it shows up December 2023. But at what cost, Matt, if I might echo my inner Mon Mothma, you don't want to rush this. You want to give them the time. I mean, they've been gearing up the entirety of the run of this show with pre-production, um, getting ready. But if we want as satisfying a final season as this initial season, you have to let them take their time with it and get it ready. Um, and we're going to have so much Star Wars in between Mando, Ahsoka, the Acolyte, uh, Skeleton Crew, the, the one you know I had forgotten about in a, in a recent podcast that, that that's, uh, you know, lensing right now as well um that by the time we get back to andor we will not want for star wars we'll want for these characters pete what else do we have there from the socials media uh ritterton here uh had actually tweeted at us uh you know complimenting us on our coverage and i said hey want to hear from you what you've thought about uh, the season and thoughtfully written in here. Okay, here's my Andor thoughts, Peter. We knew Andor was someone who had a rough past from his actions early on in Rogue One, uh, one of the best Star Wars movies made. This series makes it clear that it was just that, what had an almost Lord of the Flies uh, uh, childhood to life on Ferrix. Ferrix is the working class world and story against the power and might of the empire. Uniqueness, distinction, local pride are removed and replaced with the empire. Empire is only concerned about the emperor and his wants and appease him. Ferrix and its people are simply cogs to him. Luthen and he who remains uh, a bit mystery and I do like the argument that he might be a former Jedi. See Screen Crush, okay, and Ryan Airy. Uh, and the theory there sounds pretty cool, actually. Uh, also, Luthen's shop, flipping Star Wars fans' dream come true store. Cyril Karn and Linus Musk represent another variation of, quote, redemption, unquote. First mission, total failure, and they lost all they had. Second, private mission to Ferrix attempted to prove Andor was the killer redeem themselves within the imperial system contrast it with Andor and Marva redemption arc uh, that make them something bigger than themselves and inspires others with no self rewards or gains this coupled with hope builds revolutions Cyril and Linus focus on self gain with redemption only build them and reinforces the empire. 
Andor was an incredible series that took Star Wars uh, down the lives of the foot soldiers and into the roots of the rebellion. It highlighted sacrifice, struggle, and we know the outcome. Now we understand even more what it took to make the Empire fall. Awesome series. End. Tons of passion there. Really great thoughts. It's it's interesting, I think, to put it uh, in the phrase there, the, the foot soldiers here. It's it's a nice reminder that that is indeed what we're looking at. Even with some of the high muckety mucks like Partagas and so forth, we're used to, you know, Darth Vader, vice president of the empire and, you know, the emperor, emperor of the empire and things of that sort, kind of the, the top of the mountain here. And to get these characters where, you know, if tomorrow Partagas retired and uh, one of the other people in the big round white room stepped up to become major things would continue as they were. Uh, so it's interesting. It, it really is interesting to just get this perspective. And I hope this has, I hope this show has a halo effect on, you know, whether it's star Wars, Marvel, whatever it might be, heck even stuff outside the Disney property there to really have that, that foot soldier approach there because boy, has it worked. Pete to the email inbox. We go to hear from Stacy, uh, who says as follows, hi, Matt and Pete. I admit I was disappointed to not hear my email read on the podcast episode for One Way Out, but I do understand that life happens. Pete, just a little reminder there, we had recorded a day early just because of some some behind-the-scenes stuff. But back to Stacy here. I appreciate you reading my email on the episode for Daughters of Ferrix, a daughter of Ferrix. I actually think it was uh, better delayed given my prediction regarding Lita and her potential betrothal. Then life happened on my end, and I didn't get my thoughts on the finale sent in time. Rick's Road was an excellent finale. It had the right mix of wrap-up and leaving things open for next season. Marva's message was exactly the thing Cassian needed to set him on the path we know he's headed for. When she said she'd been sleeping, thought of Picard. I haven't been living, I've been waiting to die. And I was glad Fiona Shaw got this last scene since Marva died off-camera. The scenes where Cassian was rescuing Bix felt so much like one way out. Uh, I was tense the whole time, kept waiting for them to get caught, and really, truly thought Pegla was going to have turned Cassian in, and they were, uh, weren't going to get away. Always happy to be wrong when, I'm, when I've presumed the worst. Oh, in my heart, when Bix says Andor will find them, it made me think of The Last of the Mohicans when Hawkeye tells Korra, I will find you. Okay, I know this is a series wrap-up, so on to my thoughts for the series as a whole. I loved it. Loved the look of it. Loved the story, the casting. Uh, they even have the best droid of all time. Apologies to R2 and BB-8, whom I love, but B, the best. Uh, I've heard the complaints about Andor being too slow, and to that I say, bah, y'all, your shows don't have to be a mile a minute action to be good. Even uh, Star Wars. This was a well-told story that was drawn out for maximum effect, and it was good. I want to know what happens with everyone who still has loose ends out there. I know it's going to be a while before we uh, get it, but I have no doubt it'll be worth the wait. Okay, well, Lita the cat hovers, threatening to delete emails with her destructive <laughs> paws, so I'll close with looking forward to your thoughts. That's from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. Well, thank you again, Stacy. Sorry we couldn't accommodate you on that last batch there. Um, but love hearing the thoughts here. And yeah, complete agreement on, you know, when they get it to us, we know it'll be well done. And I think we're all willing to wait for that. And now, Pete, much like 
Much like the Death Star's appearance in Andor after an entire season of waiting, it's finally happening. Now we hear from Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the season wrap-up of season one of Andor. Two reasons I didn't get feedback during the run of the season. One was that the deadlines for giving feedback were too tight for me. And the second reason is because I didn't like this series that much and it would have resulted in perhaps a little too many negative pieces of feedback. But now overseeing the whole season, I can perhaps do that in a more balanced way. In the podcast about episode 10, Matt said, Let me ask you this, Pete. Is it the greatest Star Wars show of this calendar year? In fact, how about this? We'll roll back Book of Boba Fett first episode, December 29th. We'll call that uh, December 29th, 2021. We'll call that 2022. Book of Boba Fett, Kenobi, and Andor. Andor is definitely the top of those three, right? And then Pete said something like that he couldn't decide because he loves all his children equally. It's clear that Ender is quite different and perhaps that's the very good thing in the Star Wars universe to have something with another kind of tone, other kind of setting, other way of pacing. And that's perhaps my problem. It doesn't feel Star Wars enough for me, but perhaps I'm then too much on the spectrum. In that way, they did it very good in the sense of adapting it or connecting it, would be a better word, to Rogue One. Because Rogue One has something of the tone of this, but it also has something of the tone of the other major Star Wars movies. So Rogue One doesn't feel disconnected from the series, neither disconnected from the other movies. Although Rogue One was already a little different, but that was a little, and this is a lot. So I'm quite critical about this series, but I didn't dislike it that much that I didn't watch it on. But it was kind of heavy because it was slow-paced. I mean, it said before, well, sometimes the series can be slow-paced, but as my expectations for Star Wars, this was a little bit too much. But as often said, that if you have a lot of critical points for a series, why do you watch on? Well, it was not that bad. And actually, one important point is your enthusiasm about the series. So I thought, with your experience in sci-fi and Marvel, Star Wars, Star Trek, etc., um, I thought I was the crazy one and you were the ones that were right. So it must be good, but I just didn't see it. Apart from slow-paced, I also thought it was a depressing series. So sometimes that can be. Actually, The Mandalorian is with his whole setting and getting out of the Mandalorian culture, etc., being a loner, etc., was also quite depressed. But it has much more a Star Wars feeling uh, the music was marvelous in The Mandalorian and, <laughs> of course, the conceptual art. The Book of Boba Fett had more or less the same atmosphere. And Obi-Wan was just connecting to classic Star Wars. 
So, for the four Star Wars series this year, I certainly wouldn't put Endor on top, actually on the bottom. I didn't like how Diego Luna portrayed Cassian Endor. Um, didn't click with me. I did like Luton, played by Stellan Starsgard, and uh, Mon Motma was also great. And, of course, B2 EMO was terrific. Reminded me a lot of Wally. A Pixar figure. So taking that all together, I would give this series a C plus and comparing that to IMDB where it gets an 8.4 by 77k grading people. I'm thinking I'm the crazy one and you are probably right. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, I'm a little surprised, Matt, and and that's okay. Uh, you know, Fred's been with us for a while, so I, I think surprise keeps it fresh. Um, you don't have to like everything the way everybody likes it. I, I think it's become fashionable. Oh, you know, Andor is, I keep seeing these headlines, the best Star Wars ever, you know, and, and now we have a Mandalorian date and I'm so looking forward to the return of the Mandalorian. Um, you know, that, Fred referenced my words about loving all my Star Wars children equally. Uh, you know, I, I don't have children. I'm not a father. Um, and, you know, using the metaphor here, uh, let me let me spell it out for you like this. OK, Andor is uh, going to a an Ivy League school. OK, whereas uh, Mandalorian is is going to go play. uh you know, um, in in college, play play a sport. Uh, they they're they're different. Um, they go about things differently. I think each successful in their own right. Um, people have embraced this serious. Is it at times depressing? Star Wars, it is. But I I think there's that uplift at the end, and we know ultimately where it's going to lead. You know, to have a Cassian Andor give Jin Erso the line, rebellions are built on hope. That's ultimately, you know, being written right now. Well, Pete, again, as we start to look to the future of the podcast feed, as well as the future of our upcoming podcast discussions in a couple of days, uh, you can look forward to our rerun of our Phantom Menace discussion from a, from a ways back. And then starting next weekend, uh, as we said at the top there, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, before we get into uh, the Christmas New Year's spot there, uh, where uh, we'll be doing Secret Invasion uh, intro, talking about Mandalorian, and then the original trilogy in the new year. And all of that, of course, made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. As the end of the year is coming up and we're wrapping up and we're here, Fantastic Geek continues on and all that's made possible by the people that go to patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek and all of our bills for the year, bandwidth, et cetera, et cetera, coming due. So think of it like the barista tip cup there hits a little bit on the way out of the year, push us into 2023, Matt, the 10th anniversary of this thing we call Fantastic Geek. So with this upcoming extended Star Wars discussion, Pete, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,577 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. Pete, just when you thought there was nothing else to talk about, do want to mention that tomorrow on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be taking a brief little reflection on the first two episodes of Willow, not doing a weekly podcast, not doing its own feed, little Willow discussion for tomorrow. We're looking forward to, to diving into that. Uh, then, of course, back to Star Wars in the near future. So with all of that, Pete, with all that Lucasfilm uh, twinkle around us, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. One way out. One way out.